Before this episode is played, I wanted to give you a disclaimer and note that the following episode is going to contain sensitive and mature content, including discussions about sexual assault, bullying, and suicide. I understand that these topics are very distressing or triggering for some people. Listen at your own discretion and take stock of where you are and assess the situation where you are currently. If you need headsets or need to pause this now and listen at a later time, or make sure those individuals like young ears are not in earshot of what you're listening to. I wanted you to have that opportunity to do that now. I also want to note that if you or someone you know is struggling with these issues, I urge you to seek help and support from a qualified professional or contact um, lifeline.org for suicidal concerns. That's uh, also a 988 number you can dial from your phone. And it's the resources will be in the uh, show notes, of course. The website for the suicide hotline is 988lifeline.org. And then for anybody with sexual assault concerns, you would go to the RAIN website, which is R-A-I-N-N.org. Again, these will be in the show notes, so no need to memorize or write them down, especially if you're not in a situation where it's safe. I also want to know that your well-being is super important to me. If you need to be around someone for support, please do that. I definitely want you to get the value out of this powerful episode but I want it done safely and appropriately and properly so that all the benefits are there and not any of the fallout that could be from someone hearing this before they were ready or not warned. So I'm going to allow a few moments to pass before the episode plays. So you have time to either change your location or pause it now. mission is simple. Deliver quality content, invest in your awesomeness every day and help you become more of what you already are. Awesome. So I'm introducing my one-on-one conversations with real individuals that know they're awesome despite all of what life throws at them. They know that life is happening for them and not to them. Each episode, we're going to discover their unique purpose that is fueled by passion, which I refer to as awesome sauce. They will share their hero's journey of that wrecked moment that crashed into them and challenged them. Who was it or what provided the roadmap out? Discover what they are doing currently to play bigger in the world to make an impact. Maya Angelou said, there is no greater agony than burying an untold story within you. My prayer, my desire for you is you will be inspired to tell your story. Hoffman here today. I can't tell you how excited I am to bring her story to you and hopefully uh, open your eyes to some perspectives on some things that not many people, I think, get the opportunity to. And I think one of the things that I'm absolutely most impressed with you, uh, Katie, is the resilience that I've 
witness from listening to your story a few times and just seeing what you're doing despite all of the challenges that we're going to probably touch on here and share with the audience right now. And I just want to congratulate you and give you that, you know, props and high fives, all the good feels for, you know, being resilient and not giving up, knowing that you've got a story to tell and a voice to get out to the world. And I'm, I'm just happy to have you here. So thanks for joining me today. Thank you, Eric. It's, it's my pleasure. You know, I started sharing my story three years ago and I, I, I won't stop, you know? So no, I always you, say if I can help one person or save one life, all of my, all of my story is worth it. Amen. So. I, I feel the same way. Like, you know, I don't know what the podcast and all this will do, but I just know that I'm driven by that one. Whoever that one is, it may take 50,000 episodes and they finally get it. I don't know, but that's not for me to figure out. That's just for me to show up and be faithful and keep going, right? So I agree with you there. I love that attitude. I love it. So let's dive into like the high level overview of, of kind of the early days to where you are now. And then we can kind of tackle some of the more finer details in, in, in your story as we go along, if that works. Absolutely. Cool. Sure. So. Where are you from? How many siblings, parents, all the things, you know, what was the early years up to now like? Um, I'm in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Good old Midwest girl, uh, born and raised, been here my whole life. Um, I have two younger sisters, uh, Liz, who is three and a half years younger, and Sam, who is 13 years younger than I am. Um, Parents, still married, almost 49 years. Um, so I think that's pretty incredible. Um, good, good role models for, um, you know, a, a healthy, happy marriage. Um, but, you know, early days, I was born with a disability called spina bifida. And um, I have the, what they would consider the, the worst type, which is uh, myelomeningocele. Um, try to say that five times fast. <laughs> right. <laughs> I can't even spell it correctly, I don't think, um, which basically means, spina bifida basically means split spine. So I was born with, you know, a, a hole, a sack of fluid, a hole in, in my spine when I was born. And um, I'm 44, almost 45. And so they didn't do ultrasounds back then. So doctors, my parents didn't know that there was going to be something, you know, wrong or something different about me until my mother gave birth. Um, and I will never forget my grandfather, God rest his soul. I was born on his birthday, uh, till, and he was actually there when my mother was in labor because he had to put her to sleep because I needed to come out and I wouldn't. And so he said it was the most beautiful, but the most devastating delivery I'd ever witnessed. And I was young when he told me that. And I'm like, how could a grandfather say that? But now I understand what he meant. You know, it was an amazing thing, but it was also, you know, nobody knew that there was going to be something different or something wrong with me. Um, and, you know, I'm okay saying that there are things wrong with me. You know, I, I, I embrace it. It took me a long time, but, um, you know, I, I accept my disability now, finally. I, I didn't, you know, when I was younger. Um, I was bullied all through school. Uh, I did 13 years of Catholic school. Um, people think that, you know, if you go to a religious school or you go to a, a Catholic school, that everybody's perfect, everybody's nice to everybody. And I mean, we don't have enough time in the world to, to 
to, to talk about everything, every name that I've been called, everything that's been done to me, you know, for those 13 years. Um, it was by teachers, by students, by faculty. It's, you know, if I was in school now, if I was a child in today's society with social media, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you right now. I barely survived it back in the 80s and 90s. Um, so, but, you know, I mean, I, I did the best that I could academically, not, not the greatest student. You know, I, I graduated by the skin of my teeth, but I graduated. You know, I had teachers and parents that didn't think that I would graduate or amount to much. Um, I have three college degrees. Um, you know, so I've, I've worked my butt off trying to, you know, just get through life, get through school um, the best that I can. Um, I don't know how much detail you want, but like when I was a sophomore, uh, my, my one and only high school friend was graduating and I was absolutely devastated. And I was 17 years old and I went home and I tried to unalive myself in my parents' house. Nobody was home. My dad was working. My mom was gone. You know, my sisters were both gone. And that was the point where I realized, okay, I'm, I'm not okay. You know, I was 17 years old. I'd been in therapy since seventh grade because my parents always thought there was something wrong with me or that I was the problem child. Um, and you may wonder why I'm kind of smiling. I've, I've dealt with this so much that it's like, it's, it's funny to hear myself say it at this point. Um, but you know, I, I didn't want to be here anymore. I was sick and tired of the bullying, sick and tired of being told that I wasn't good enough or that I wasn't going to amount to anything. And so I was like, you know what, if my family doesn't want me around, you know, the school doesn't want me around. What's the point? Obviously, I am still here. I survived it. Thank God. Yeah, absolutely. You um, know, and I want to interrupt if I could by saying, sure. you know, I'm a dad to five daughters. Oh, wow. And I have a special needs daughter who's 16. And I'm an, I'm in that role. And, and I'm, I should also state I'm, I'm a huge empath. Like, I feel people and, like, I remember even early as early as memories I can think of on the playgrounds and stuff like the kids that weren't popular or the kids that you knew I could just pick up on the fact that they were not feeling included really hurt my heart and I reached out to them a lot like that's my role in 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 the relationships typically I you know what I mean so I one thing that just really I'm kind of getting chills thinking this through because I'm so passionate about it like I don't understand how parents don't support their kid. I don't, I, I can't even fathom that. Like, yes, my kid is challenging and she frustrates the crap out of me to uh, words that couldn't even express it, honestly, but she's still my kid. And I'm not going to just throw her out like yesterday's trash and, and just just, you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. I, I don't get it. I, and so I, I can't even imagine how at a young age for you, how that impacted you. You know, and I'm not, and I, I guess I'm not necessarily, my parents don't, it's, it's not that my parents don't support me. You know, they're always there for me. My dad's the only man that has always been there for me and it's never hurt me. No questions yeah. asked. It's just, I don't think they fully quite knew how to raise a special needs child, especially back in the late seventies, you know, early 90s, early eighties, sorry, with 
you know, no help, you know, other than, you know, nobody knew what was going on, what was wrong. And so it's, it's taken us all a long time to, to learn how to have that relationship. And it hasn't always been pretty. So when you look back at like, from this perspective now back, how do you like make sense of and process the lack of like that education or how these parents and faculty and others could treat someone in that situation so badly like that? Like, do you find any answers to that? Or are you still puzzled as well? What's your thoughts on that? Um, I've, I've, I've been out of high school 25 years. Yeah. Gulp. Um, you know, and I've, and I've realized that my parents did the best that they could. They did what they could do with the knowledge that they had, you know, and in regards to school, um, you know, it was a private Catholic school. And so I, I didn't, I wasn't necessarily afforded the academic help that I should have been afforded because being a private school, they're not required by law to do a lot of things, at least back then they weren't. And so, and I was literally the only student from kindergarten through 12th grade in my schools with any type of disability. And so it was kind of like, oh, well, something happened to Katie. Everybody knew about it. <laughs> you know, so I, I look back on it now and everybody did the best that they could, you know, with, with the resources and the, the, the knowledge that they had. You know, and I know my parents love me. It's in their own way. Mm-hmm. It might not always be the best, but I know parents do the best that they can with the resources that they have, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Or most I'm parents just, do the best they can. I guess the question that I would, that makes me, that I'm thinking of is in, like, for example, the faculty, were they derogatory comments or just being ignorant and making comments about something they just don't understand? I mean, I can, I can't, I don't have enough fingers and toes to, to count on how many times a teacher or a faculty member called me stupid or told me that I wasn't going to amount to anything or that I wasn't going to graduate or that, you know, I wasn't worth their time. I mean, See, I had to a me, that, yeah. that's where I'm at. Like that, that doesn't mean they did the best they can with what they knew. That's bullcrap to me there. I don't buy that at all. Cause yeah. I, you don't have to no, it be makes sense. mean, yeah. right, to people and derogatory and make them feel like dog meat. Like, I just that bothers me a lot. I don't think there's that's not lack of ignorance. That's being immature and horrible human, in my view. And I just don't I don't tolerate that at all. It's one thing to go. I don't understand it. And maybe, you know, say it in a trying to be politically correct, if you will. But like to just come out and say things like that directly about somebody that that's that's a deeper concern to me that i don't i don't give a pass on i guess maybe that's where i'm at and given the fact that you've dealt with so much maybe you've you've processed it differently but man that just doesn't i'm not okay with that like that's wrong i I completely understand and i think and you know maybe it is because i you know it was so long ago that i kind of just figured okay this is how it's going to be and i shouldn't expect more and maybe i should expect more um, well, you still got to deal with it and process it anyway, given you can't change those people. They're going to be the mean people they are. And that's sad on mm-hmm. them. Pity them in the long run, obviously. Like once you get to a place that you can process it and be healthier, like it's, you you know, the only thing you can control is you, right. And what you get to do about what was said and done, but I don't know, just coming from the other side of it, like that isn't okay. And that's not, 
it can be forgivable. I get it, but it's not like, oh, they were just ignorant and didn't know any better. So they, they said these horrible things about somebody. No, I'm sorry. That's not okay with me. <laughs> sorry, no, it makes, sorry. It, no, oh no, don't apologize. <clears throat> it, it makes sense. You know, and, and I, maybe I feel like that, you know, when it happens nowadays, it's, you know, they don't get a pass, but maybe it's because I was young and I was a kid and I just didn't know any better. Or didn't of think course. I knew any better. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, and I get that. And I, mean, and I don't think you're supposed to for crying out no. loud. Like no way we sh nobody should be in that position period and have to try and process adult things when you're still a kid and you're still working through this situation you've been given that you, you know, you're still trying to figure some of it out too. At what age did you realize for you? Like I am definitely different or something's up here. When did it really? Cause I think kids that I should preface that first. Like, I just think kids are colorblind. They're, they're blunt. They're just, genuinely curious about all kinds of things in life and they just don't stop and think about the philosophical deep things which i don't think they're supposed to right just go live your life and have fun get dirty play in the dirt go run around be out till dark and come back have dinner and just have enjoy and explore and and go go hog wild right so to speak and so in, in this case i i just wonder like at what point when you like realize hmm and you stopped and thought about there is something different about me compared to these other kids I can give you an example and it's not an easy example, but it's the one that I have. Mm -hmm. um, when I was nine, 10 years old, I was at a, a local day camp here in the summer um, with one of my sisters and some, some other, you know, kids. And um, again, only child there with any type of a disability whatsoever. This was, you know, the early to mid eighties. Um, and I was molested by the female camp director. And um, every single day for a week, and I would go home every night and beg and cry and plead for my parents not to send me back, but I wouldn't tell them why. You know, I wouldn't tell them the reason why, because this woman literally threatened my life and threatened the life of my sister and my parents if I said anything. And people are always, and when I've told this story before, people are like, well, women can't sexually abuse, you know, children, let alone a, a, a female and a little girl. And I'm like, abuse has no gender. Abuse has no perfect, you know, stereotype, you know, women abuse women, men abuse men, you know, it doesn't, they don't discriminate. And so I think that was the turning point because I remember vividly I think this might've been day three that this was happening. I literally looked at her and I said, why are you doing this? You know, in my little nine, 10 year old little girl voice. And she looked me square in the eye and said, because you're disabled and you deserve it. Hmm. And now I'm 44, almost 45. So you can do the math at how many years ago that was. Right. And it still gives me chills. I mean, it's still, it's just like, it's like, no, no child, no adult, no human deserves to be abused in any way. Absolutely. And, and was I, that the first real like major thing in your life that kind of set all these other things that you've gone through beyond that? Like, was that the first invasion so. of your privacy? Yeah. Let's call it. I mean, yeah, I think so. You know, it okay. was literally because I mean, Obviously, I, you know, I had had surgeries. I'd been in the hospital up to that point. I've been to doctors. You know, I've always had people 
parents doing medical things to me before I could do them to myself, you know? So it's like, I was never really taught the good touch, bad touch type of thing because yeah. I didn't, I didn't have a choice. Yeah. You know, if these things weren't done, I wouldn't survive, you know? And so it's like this whole thing of like, well, if we don't do this, then you're not gonna, you know, you won't be okay. So it's like, but still to tell a child disabled or not, that you deserve this because of who you are or what you look like is ridiculous. Yeah. And I've got other things in my twenties and thirties that I will have can talk about that. I was told the exact same thing. Yeah, you definitely. Know, it's I mean, just, you're welcome to share those. Like, so from that moment on, obviously that really has an impact. Obviously, and I didn't like tell anybody for 20 years. I kept that secret to myself for over 20 years. And I think it's obvious why you do, but I want to ask you like, what made you in your mind, keep it to yourself and not share what say anything. Yeah. I think because she, she threatened my life. Yeah. She threatened my family's life. Sure. She came to my parents' house one night and wanted to take me out for pizza with some other kids from camp. Oh. And I just, I just lost it. And obviously, thankfully my parents didn't make me go, Oof, but it's like, God. Yeah, but I just, I didn't, I didn't, I guess I, looking back on it now, I probably didn't say anything because she told me that it was my fault, that I deserved it. So I didn't want, you know, somebody else to say, oh, well, she was right. Or, you know, you did deserve it or whatever. Yeah. And as a kid, I mean, you don't know the difference and you take threats like that at face value because you haven't experienced enough in, in, you know, years to go, oh, that was somebody just bullying and taking advantage of their position, but they had idle threat behind that. You have no way to process that. No, absolutely not. No, totally get it. That's what I figured. But I, like I said, I just wanted you to have a chance to share it if it was possibly any other angle to it that you had, but I figured that was probably more of the, the reality, unfortunately. Gosh, people, unfortunately, I'm, I'm telling yeah. you, I, I, I yeah, I, mm, this, this is, it's just hard for me to understand how any human, like you've said, but adults in those situations can do this to people. They're obvious. And again, I know it comes back in the end on to them being broken and them having major issues somewhere in probably their life. They have a story too that we're not able to get a hold of per se. And it doesn't, again, never excuses it. It's not like, oh, I'll let you off the hook because you got abused maybe when you were nine or 10. And so now you're just repaying the favor. No, doesn't work like that. You're still accountable to your actions, period. Absolutely. But I, it, I always say it's not excuses, it's explanations, right? You know, that's mm -hmm. that's my take on that. But it's still, it's hard to hear, and it's it it just wow. I I don't know. I don't have words. I just know how I feel about it. Yeah. And yeah, I would I just it. I would want to wring their neck and choke them out. Like it just that's the fat that visceral response right for me right away. Like that protective dad thing in me. I guess I don't know. That's just wild. And, and it still goes on today. We know, obviously. And it does. that's, oh, mm. it does. and that's, I think that's why telling your story and sharing these things is important because we need to remind people that don't know what this is like, or even maybe ever been around it had to, you know, be open to the fact that this does happen. It mm -hmm. has to be refreshed so people can be more vigilant and protective, ideally. See signs, Even 10 right? years ago, you know, 10, 12 years ago, I was just online. I don't know what I was doing, but I had, I saw a story where 
another camp counselor had done the same thing at the same camp to, you know, other children. And so it's still going on, you know, in 2000, whatever that would have been, you know, 2010 or whatever. Yeah. So. So, so of course, I had at that point, I had the guilt of, oh, my God, I didn't say anything 30 plus years ago. And it's still happening. Wasn't Mm. the same people, but it's still happening. So I felt guilty for not saying anything. Uh. And then I was like, well, no, you know, it's. You were a child. You didn't know better. Absolutely. Absolutely. You have to give yourself that grace and mercy without a doubt. Mm-hmm. You, you know, the, yeah, there's just, you should never have anybody put you in a position like that to even have to try and process it and figure out how you're supposed to handle it and figure it out and think about it. And it just never should have been, but mm-hmm. it ha- it did. And you, you've done the right thing by letting yourself off the hook. Obviously you still have the trauma and the nightmares that go with it when I'm sure it, you know, rears its ugly head at weird times like when you don't want it to oh <laughs> man Powerful. very inopportune times when it did yeah yeah i believe it so after that where did things go in your journey from there you know i basically i you know i got through school i got through grade school high school um graduated high school and was like okay i'm gonna you know graduate. I'm going to go to college. I'm going to move out of my parents' house. You know, I'm going to start my life, you know, 19 years old. Things are going to be great. You know, whatever kid thinks that, you know, their life is going to be when they graduate high school and go to college or just, you know, move out from underneath their parents or whatever. And sadly, my journey did not go the way of the typical, you know, 19, 20 year old college student. Um, I did go away to school, um, did get into college. And when I was 21, I, you know, went to my first fraternity party on campus with some, with some friends or looking back on it, so-called friends. Um, you know, I, I'd gotten through high school, you know, no drinking, no drugs, no cigarettes, you know, you know, all of those things that people, assimilate you know high school with for for a lot of kids and um and so I went to my first party thinking you know no big deal I'm with my friends everything is going to be fine I'm going to be I'm going to be okay whatever let me pause real quick and get a, a picture of are you fully mobile at this point or are you still kind of dependent on like I know you've mentioned recently being the wheelchair situation where are you at in that functionality of your life, um, if you will. I, I had one, I had one cane at that point. I was, okay. I was, I was fairly mobile, um, okay. you know, with, with one crutch, which is what I'd been, you know, most of my life up until then. Uh, Great. Sorry. Thank you. I just wanted to kind of have oh, that no, piece in fine. the scene I, of things to, to understand too. Thank you. Yeah, I was, you're welcome. I was, I was fairly mobile. Um, you know, and so I, I went to this party, one of my really good friends was the president of the fraternity. You know, he said, you'd keep an eye on me, you know, whatever famous last words. Um, last thing I remember is I was sitting on a couch, you know, talking to this guy. I see my friend being carried out because he's so inebriated that he can't walk out of this party. And that's the last thing I remember until I wake up alone on this couch um, in this foyer of this fraternity house with nothing on from the waist down and remembering absolutely nothing. 
And so there's like nobody around. I'm like, what the heck just happened? I don't know if swearing's allowed on here or not. So You're good. <gasps> um, Speak the truth and let it be. Oh yeah, I was like, what the fuck was going on? And so I I found my keys. I got you know I got myself together. I found my keys, went back to my dorm room, and just crumbled to the floor because you know I remembered nothing. Nobody was around, and I was. This was like two to two and a half weeks before graduation because I was graduating in December from this school. And so I basically just kind of went on with my life, didn't say anything to anybody again, didn't really know much, didn't say anything. Um, you're gone. Oh, there you are. <laughs> um, until about a week to a week and a half after that party, a campus police officer stopped me on campus and asked me if I had been there. And I said, yes, but I, you know, I don't, I don't really remember much or I don't really, you know, have any recollection of a lot of it. Um, supposedly somebody had videotaped the entire party because they were angry. They'd been kicked out of the fraternity and that condoms had been passed out and every girl at that party had been raped and not remembering anything, but waking up the way that I did in that house, um, you know, I, I told him the information that I could remember. And he's like, well, whatever happened to you, you deserved because A, you've been drinking and B, you're disabled. So again, it's my fault because I have a disability that I was potentially raped at this fraternity party. And I know you've got what, four or five daughters, and you're probably fuming right now. And I apologize, but you know, so this is the second time in like 10 years that I've been told that something's happened to me. It's my fault because of my disability. Yeah. And <laughs> again, adults, uh, idiot adults. I mean, he just... probably wasn't that much older than me because it was a really small college in a really small town. So, but I mean, I'm not giving him a pass, but literally telling right. a woman she deserves to be raped because she's been drinking and is disabled. And I think that was probably as a result of the the societal understanding and culture. Cause I, we're about the same age. So I, re, I recall like people having that opinion about like you dress a certain way. Well, you're going to get a certain thing. That's just the way it is. Mm -hmm. Like that's well, you look you're, about you're 10 years younger than me. So whatever you're doing, <laughs> keep it up. Thank you. I appreciate you're it. You're welcome. Yeah. Cause this was in December of 2000 was when, when this happened. And again, I didn't tell anybody like I just, you know, having that shame and that guilt of being told, well, you went to this party, you did these things. This is what happens to girls like you kind of a mentality. Yeah. You just kind of, I know, push it down. Yeah. You know, I, well, I started you're, using you're fighting a whole lot of belief in that, you know, generational beliefs on that crap. Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's a, that's a tall mammoth of a thing to, to push back against. So I get it. Makes sense. And that's where my, you know, my love hate relationship with food started was when I was, you know, 10, 11 years old dealing with all of this, you know, I would cope with food. And especially mm -hmm. when I started driving, you know, when I was in high school, I'd go, I'd get food, you know, the mm -hmm. whole binge restrict purge sure. cycle thing. And, you know, it's, that's how I, I coped with it or tried to cope with it. No, it makes sense. I mean, this is the one thing that people don't realize, like with the eating stuff is, 
a big part of that is like there's a lot of chemical stuff going on and when you're jacked up because of traumatic experiences and people messing with things in your system like you're looking for dopamine hits and ways to feel good mm -hmm. and that's why we get into the substances we get into or the foods and then it becomes body imaging because you're being told you're you know this way and that way and people see it this way that way so it's just it's it's a mess and you best. can't give up food. We, I, it's not like right. an addiction that I can stop eating yeah. and I'm still going to live. You know? Exactly. A hundred percent. It's a huge, I mean, challenge. I know giving up set or, you know, cigarettes and alcohol and all that is really hard, but you can give right. those up and still Without, live. Exactly. hundred yeah. percent. Probably live better really <laughs> at the end of the day. hundred percent. But you know, it was just, so I was, I graduated two weeks later. Couldn't look my dad in the eye because mm. I was so ashamed. Um, went on to a different college and, you know, again, thought life was going to be great. I'm moving on. I'm going to do things, you know, it's one thing after another. Yeah. So then did you, with the college, you said you moved out or hadn't moved out yet? From school. When you went to parents. college, did you move out into the dorms? Is that what it was? Yeah. I lived in okay. the dorms. Yeah. Okay. It was just easier. Um, okay. to live in all the dorms, okay. you know, but I, you know, I went to a, a I transferred to a different school right. was, was thinking, okay, I'm going to have another fresh start. I can do this, you know, leave that stuff behind when you don't deal with 20 years worth of stuff, mm -hmm. it follows you. And so even if you don't think it's going to follow you. So obviously you've mentioned it, it, it showed up in the food situation. One, you obviously, you know, can, are we fair to say suicide or you don't want to use that term? Oh, I, I don't know what I'm, I, I don't want to, what I can oh, no, say I, or I, can't I, say on here. Let's so. be real, man. This is, um, this ain't, I want people to feel it. I, I'm all about massive impact here. Not about yeah, after, after dancing after around first, the issue. Yeah. After that, why well, I'm used to talking about it on TikTok and you can't say certain things or look. I know. No, I get it. Not here. We're um, good. No. Um, yeah. The first suicide attempt was at 17 and I probably had up to this point, maybe three or four more attempts on my life because I'm okay. just like, you know, into the college it, years, right. You're saying yeah, into, into okay. my college years, you know, yeah. it was just like, if, if all of, if, if I'm only good enough to have bad things happen to me or have, you know, bad people come into my life, what's the point of staying on this earth? You know, if, if it's all going to be crap and garbage and, you know, all of that. And so I transferred to this new school, met this really great guy. First guy I'd actually really dated because I didn't, like I said, I didn't have really a lot of friends in high school and stuff like that. Um, you know, and I thought, okay, this is, this is going to be my, my good thing or my happily ever after, if you want to say so. I mean, I was... 22 mm -hmm. 22 years old and um you know it wasn't the greatest situation um he had his demons i had mine <coughs> um you know but we we made we we did the best that we could and um right like a week or two after we both graduated um i woke up to him having a grand mal seizure next to me Oh, wow. And if you've ever seen anybody have a seizure of any kind, it's the scariest thing ever. Yeah. And um, he woke up 
in the hospital on his 25th birthday off of his dad's medical insurance diagnosed with brain tumor. Oh my I was, gosh. I was 23, 24, and he was 25. He just turned 25 with wow. a brain tumor. So I had to make that phone call to his dad and to his two older sisters and to my parents. And it was the first time I'd ever had to call 911, by the mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. And it was the scariest situation. It was the scariest night of my life with which then involved another person. And, you know, he didn't have health insurance because he had just turned 25 and he was kicked off of his dad's. He just graduated and didn't really have a good job, you know, a, he working like a pizza place, you know, cause we would just graduated. Sure. And so we were both like, okay, what are we going to do? Like what, what, what happens now? You know? And so it was, you know, my parents were already mad, mad at me because, you know, I was technically not their good Catholic girl anymore. Cause I was, you know, living in sin. Mm. Um, or whatever you want to say. And unfortunately, fortunately, we were finally able to get him approved for some oral chemo, oral chemotherapy, but it was like $3,000 a month. He didn't have health insurance. We weren't married. And so, and I was still on my parents' insurance. And so he finally got the pills. And the day that he was finally got his I'm going to get his chemotherapy pills. I came home and found him trying to hang himself in our apartment closet. Wow. Now, mind you, I'm barely five foot four on a good day. And at the time, maybe 150. Hmm. He's six foot four and about 340. He's a big dude. Yeah. And so I, 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 I find him in the closet. He's standing, he'd taken my shower chair and was standing on my shower chair trying to hang himself. And I don't know how I did it, but I was able to get him down. So I stopped him from doing that. He got really angry, started screaming and yelling at me. He's like, you know, I don't want to live like this. This is not a way to live. This is not fair. And I'm like, we'll figure it out. We can do this. We will figure it out. He's like, no. So then he goes and he starts shoving his anti um, seizure medicine down his throat, like literally trying to overdose on these pills. So again, for the second time I'm calling 911 and they get there, we get him to the hospital, they pump his stomach and they're like, well, there were no pills in his system. And I'm like, I physically watched him take these pills and put them in his mouth. So of course they're telling me that I'm lying. Again, that that this is not true. I have to call his dad, his sisters and say, you know, we're in the hospital. We're in the psych ward. What do I do? You know, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking this man, I love this man. I want to be with this man, but I'm also thinking, this is not what I signed up for. This is not what I thought our relationship was supposed to be, you know, because he'd become, he'd become physically and emotionally and psychologically abusive. And I blamed it all on the brain tumor, which is probably what it was, but I was justifying everything that he was saying and doing to me because he was sick. Right. And, you know, that was, 
the first relationship I ever had. And it was, I haven't had a stable relationship since. Hmm. And I'm almost 45 years old, you know, and I actually just found out three weeks ago that he died in 2019 because his cancer came back, you know, and it was just like, it, it all came flooding back and it hit me. And I was just like, I mean, cause I hadn't seen him or spoken to him in 14 years, you know, because we, he broke up with me because he didn't want to put me through it, you know? And it's just like, no 20 something should have to deal with that. You know, nobody should, but no 20, you know, 23, 24 year olds should have to deal with, you know, something as, as horrible as that. And it was just, you know, I kind of spiraled. I, yeah. I, I moved, I had to move home with my parents, you know, because they, we couldn't be together. Um, and it was like, cause I had sworn when I was 19, I was like, I'm moving out. I'm never coming, you know, I'm not moving back home. I can do this. I can figure out life. And here I am at 24 moving back in with my parents. And it was just like, you know, it was, it was hard and it was, you know, living with rules and, you know, this is our house. And if you want to be here, you know, all of these things. And I didn't have where else to go. I didn't have any money. You know, I hadn't found a job yet after I graduated and, you know, and so the depression and the anxiety and the undiagnosed PTSD. Yeah. That, that was I'm pretty sure. obvious by your story yeah, so far. I was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. And people were like, Oh, well, that only happens to veterans. No, it, no, I'm living proof that it, no, it does not only happen to veterans. And, you know, and so I, I had to live at home for two years and then I finally moved out in 2006 and again thought, okay, I'm going to start over yet again. <laughs> and at that point I was like, life can't get any worse. Life cannot throw me anything else that I can't handle or that I won't handle. Let me tell you, Eric, that was... The load of crap I could have told myself oh my goodness I was and afraid I'm you were going to say that plot twist and I'm laughing about it now but I'm just like I mean it's it's ridiculous so and you know I moved out I got a job I moved into my apartment actually another apartment but where I'm living now in this in this building um the you know I was working a month and a half after I moved out of my parents house I get laid off. Jeez. You know, and it's just like, does the universe hate me? Or am I really, truly this most horrible person that deserves all of this crap? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> now, have you stayed in the same city, town, state the whole I time through all Fort this? Wayne. I've, I've lived in Fort Wayne, okay. except for when I went to, went to college. I lived still in Indiana. Okay. I've never lived it. anywhere else but, but Indiana. Okay. Um. And so I was just like, really universe? Like, like seriously? Mm. So that was to, uh, early 2007. And I was like, okay. So I start looking for work. You know, I'm college educated at this point. I had two college degrees and associates and a bachelor's. In what? 
my associate's degree is in assistive technology, like devices for people with disabilities to use. Um, and then my bachelor's is in uh, general studies with minors in social work and sociology. Cool. And so I've got the, the social work and sociology background. I was trying to get my bachelor's in social work and could not get through statistics to save my life hmm. because math and I just don't, don't mesh well. Yeah. I'm not a good math person either. I can balance my checkbook and that's it. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's gotten me to almost 45. So we're good. And they don't even teach you it in school for crying out loud. That's something you got to no. learn on your own. Dang it. No. Um, you know, and it's just one rejection letter after another, you know, you're over, you're not qualified or you're overqualified or, you know, this whole, you're not qualified thing is a lot of crap because, well, if you don't give me the job to, to be qualified, how am I supposed to get the qualifications? Yeah. If that was grammatically correct. I don't know. No, I get it. It's in every industry. Like even with the nursing side of it, like they want nursing experience, but how do you think I get that experience if I don't get a first time entry somewhere with somebody to give me the experience? Like it's got to come somewhere. Are you, are at some you a point. nurse? I am. Oh, cool. My mom's an RN. Oh, right on. Hasn't worked since she had kids, but you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I ask her nursing stuff. All my uh, medical questions. All, she's like, I haven't worked in almost 45 years. Like, what, like, how do you? <laughs> yeah. What do you I'm think like, I'm going to know at this point? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can't Google, right? <laughs> no. Yeah. She was like, just ask Dr. Google. I'm like, yeah, well, he told me I was dying last week after surgery. So. <laughs> yes. I don't like anyway. Dr. Google. I get it. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. I digress. Um, see the whole laughing or crying thing. It, it, I, this is how I have coped with the trauma for 40 some years is, laughing or crying um you know whatever so gets you through yeah so fast forward so like 2007 lost the job and you know nobody was hiring me nobody would give me a job you know nobody would do anything and so i finally decided to try and apply for disability because obviously i am disabled you look at me and at this point i was still mobile pretty mobile. Okay. Um, and I was denied three times and I'm like, even when I physically saw their doctor and he saw what I couldn't, couldn't do, I was, it was denied. And so, you know, I, 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 I give up on that. I finally get social security insurance or whatever it's called, which is literally nothing. Mm. I mean, I don't, yeah, you don't get a whole heck of a lot of money from the government, but yet they won't give you jobs that you can try and support yourself mm -hmm. or you lose your benefits. And so, you know, I, I did that. I think that might've been back in probably 2015 okay. or whatever, but backtrack, sorry, I skipped a very large chunk. Um, back in 2010, I was living in the current apartment that I'm in now. And, um, I found like a temporary, temporary job, uh, through an employment agency working it was supposed to be like a six month job. They were opening a catering and box lunch place here and hiring people with, you know, all types of disabilities to give them job experience. And even though I'd, you know, I'd worked for my dad, I'd had jobs in the past, you know, through school and everything, it was a job. It was money. I'm not going to look a gift horse in the mouth. And so, again, 
starting over, you know, things are going to be great. I can do this again. Famous last words. Um, I know. Oh, shit's about to hit the fan for what the 15th time in the last 45 minutes. Um, so I had a bunch of, uh, coworkers over one night. We were just hanging out, watching TV, talking, um, shooting the breeze and everybody left. I went to bed and at like 2 15, 2 30 in the morning, I'm awoken by this person standing at my bed, standing at the side of my bed. Now, mind you, I live in a locked building, like a secured locked building and on the 11th floor. And it's one of my, my male coworkers. And I'm like, what, what, how did you get in? So I locked my door and it's a deadbolt. So I don't know how he, what happened. Um, and he was, he was drunk, extremely drunk. And, um, excuse me. I was like, well, why are you here? What, what are you doing? how did you get in? He's like, Oh, I, I wanted to come back. I wanted to see you. And I was like, why? And he's like, because I want sex. And I'm like, so you broke into some girl's apartment just randomly at two 30 in the morning because you want sex. And I was like, well, I'm not your girl. Sorry. It's just, that's, that's not going to happen. I'd known this guy like two weeks. Oh, wow. Yeah. Needless to say, he, he, he got the sex because he raped me four times to an half hour period. Oh my God. And every time he would pass out. Now, mind you, at this point, I still have two, I have two crutches at this point, but I'm still pretty mobile because this is mm -hmm. back in 2010. But again, I'm on the 11th floor of a 14 story building and it was built back in the late sixties. So the elevators are old and you know, all of this. So every time he would pass out or finish or whatever you want to say, I would attempt to get up to try to get away and he would wake up and it would, the whole cycle would start all over again. You know, I was, I was screaming, I was begging walls are concrete. You know, he, took my phone. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't get out. I couldn't, I tried to lock myself in the bathroom. Um, and so he finally passed out for the last time. And at that point I had just basically given up. I said, I said to myself, this is going to happen whether you want it to or not. And I don't, I, I've never said that I just gave up, but you know, I just kind of went out, went inside myself and was just like, what, what, no matter what I do, this is going to happen and I can't stop it. You know, so 30 years plus worth of voices in my head come back and told me, this is what's going to happen. You deserve this. There's nothing you can do to stop it. And I was 30, I was 31 at the time. And so I finally just said, you know what? I'm done fighting. It happens. It happens. Whatever. I didn't know if he was going to kill me. I had no idea. So he finally passes out and I realized that he's out he's not going to move. And so I literally just curl up in a ball and just lay there until daybreak. And so I get up the next morning while he's still here, mind you, I, I couldn't get away to, to call 911 or anything. 
And so I get up and I say that I'm going to, you know, get ready to go to work because, you know, that's what I was supposed to do was go to work um, the next, excuse me, the next day. And he's like, well, can I just stay here and sleep? And when you're done, you can come back and we can hang out. And I'm like, do you not remember what happened last night? Like, do you have no, any recollection? And he's like, well, what? And I'm like, you raped me four times in a two and a half hour period. And he's like, no, I didn't. And I was like, I mean, and at one point that during the night I asked him why he was doing this. And he said, because I can. Wow. So he was either really, really drunk or really, really stupid or both. Yeah. I don't Probably know. both. I'm gonna go with both. That's my. I vote. mean, I, no offense to the men out there, but I'm gonna go with both. And I was like, I don't care what you do, but I'm going to work. But you're not staying in my apartment. You will either I will either take you to your bus stop. I will, or you can go on your own volition. But you are not staying here. Like, I was really dumb back then because I walked out of my apartment with this man who just raped me. Um, I didn't know. My only thing was just to get us out of the building, yeah. you know, and I, and I saw somebody that knew me and I just kind of looked at her and, you know, she looked to him and so I just, I left and he left and I was like, well, I'm going to work. I don't care what you do. Excuse me, but you can't stay here. And he's like, and I will never remember. I will never forget these words as for as long as I live. He's like, just remember, I know where you live. Hmm. And it sends, it's still, you know, yesterday was actually the uh, 13th year anniversary of that day. It was yesterday. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. And it was, it's kind of ironic that we're talking about it today. And I thought about yeah. that last night. I was, I was lying in bed. I was like, oh yeah. So yeah, 13 years ago yesterday. And, you know, I, I actually thankfully had an appointment with my therapist that day. So I went straight to his office after I went to work and told them what had happened and that I'm not staying. Um, and, you know, he got me in contact with our local uh, sexual assault treatment center here. You know, I did everything I was supposed to do. I talked to the police. This time I wasn't going to stay quiet. You know, I talked to the police. I talked to the forensic nurse. I had the rape kit done. I did everything you're supposed to do by the book. And nothing was done. Nothing was done. I don't get it. Gosh, I, I, don't get I it. still, 13 years later, don't understand it. The only explanation I was ever given was by my therapist, who he's pretty much the reason I'm alive today, was because he didn't beat the ever-living shit out of you and you didn't get you pregnant. It's your word against his. And that's why our system is so fucked up is because Amen. it's not set up for the victim or the survivor. It's no, for the perpetrator. it's not. You're absolutely right. No accountability. No, they get all, they get no accountability in these things. It's an, it's insane. And yet you get to live with all of the aftermath of that situation for your time. Like, yeah, that's more you know, of a sentence I, than anything. Absolutely. And I've spent the last 13 years overcoming and dealing with those 30 years of stuff all at once so to anybody out there i don't recommend leaving it all and doing it all at once and i may laugh and i may joke about it now but no it's 
because I repressed those childhood memories. I repressed that stuff that happened in college. And so I had to remember it all every single day. And it was, it was torture. Mm -hmm. So I think this is a good segue into kind of where we're at with where you're heading to, to present day. And I would love to, uh, you know, who, it sounds like, you know, um, you've had some definitely great counseling options, some great people that have helping you work through this. I'm assuming it's still an active thing ongoing, but where did it, where was that first moment of there's maybe a way out of this depth of what's gone on in, in, in a light path forward, if you met, that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. Um, actually the day that I was raped 13 years ago, when I walked into my therapist's office and told him what had happened, that basically started my journey of un- unraveling and unwrapping, you know, 30, 30 plus years worth of, of trauma and, you know, suicide attempts and self-harm and, you know, all of those things. And it was one of the hardest things I ever had to do, but it was one of the best things that I ever had to do, you know, um, and up until three years ago, when I got on TikTok during COVID, which is when most of us did, nobody had heard my story except for my therapist and eventually my parents, which they never responded to the letter that I wrote them. Um, you know, and so it was terrifying, but it's like the day that I walked into his office, November, yeah, November 12th, 2010 was the, the day that. I took my life back. And who is he? Uh, Jason, Jason Cook. Dr. Jason Cook. I like to call people out and give them the credit when they do. Oh yeah, absolutely. Awesome you know, and th- he's, he's gotten me through, through every, you know, suicide attempt. He's gotten me through, you know, the nightmares, the flashbacks, the, through all of it, you know, and because my family doesn't like to talk about things, you know, they like to keep the family secrets secret and just kind of sweep things under the rug. It's a privacy Um, matter. That's what we all lie to ourselves about. Yeah. Yeah. My mom didn't want my dad's practice to get ruined by me, you know, standing up in court and talking about what happened. It's okay. I love her. It's all good. Um, and you know, I mean, I've, I've forgiven all these people, you know, and I say that and people look at me like I'm crazy. It's like, how could you, you know, forgive, you know, people for raping you and people, you know, molesting you. And it's like, I'm not forgiving them for what they've done. I'm forgiving them for myself so that I can move on and so that I can have my life back, Yep, you know, and it's, it's been hard, but excuse me, you know, I'm still here yeah. by the grace of God. I'm still here. Yeah. Um, yeah. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Okay. Absolutely. I mean, I, I don't, you know, it's kind of like the hero's journey, right? There's always that guide in your journey at some point that gives you the way out, the answer, the solution, the thing yeah, it still requires some walking it out. And there may there, and honestly, there's not necessarily a timetable on it as long as there's progress, right. In your journey where you're feeling like it's a little less hard today than it was yesterday or whatever. Right. And that to me is amazing. So good on him. And who else has come in to support this progress for you as well? Anybody? 
Um, I've, I've built a pretty great, um, you know, support system on TikTok. Nice. Um, uh, I, I think you might've seen my story videos that I have pinned. Um, the guy in those videos, uh, Dylan Sessler, he's the yeah. reason I started telling my story on TikTok. Um, right and you know, the and reason those are the two I, YouTubes that you sent me, right? With yeah, talking those, with those, him. Yes. And those will be linked up in the show notes for everybody to go check out and get more. There's a great storytelling in that and some really cool insights that we probably didn't touch on and partly intentional because I, I know those existed so people could go there and really get them. Absolutely. You know, and just, you know, it was because of TikTok during COVID that I finally learned to love myself and my mm. story. And I was so it's really interesting contrast. I mean, you mentioned like that if social media was around back in the day, it would have been horrible but look how yeah and i exactly. say this all the time it the it's not the invention or the thing that's to be blamed it's how we use it proper or improperly that makes all the difference so i've met so yeah. many people including you now look you know because of social media to have these you know experiences with each other and one of the gals yeah. on our podcast that co-hosts with me i've never met her and we've known each other for three years and she's co-hosting a podcast i've never seen her in person it's mm -hmm. just wild so it's pretty cool. And I've never met Dylan in person. We we want to, but we just it's it's you know it just hasn't yeah. really worked out. And it's just like sure. you're right. You know, it's it's completely crazy. I never thought that being on a I got on this app as a joke during COVID because I was stuck <laughs> in my apartment by myself twenty four seven. Right, and right. it literally saved my life. You so know? I, I mean, I, you, when you talk about that, I was there was a part of your childhood I remember hearing on Dylan's podcast where you talked about like being home a lot and to left to your own thoughts and writing and that, is that become a pretty heavy practice for you in general too, then the, the journaling and writing? Oh, absolutely. I, like I said, I'm, I'm moving in, in four weeks. And so I, I packed up, I think I have maybe 10 or 12 journals in a box behind me, you know, start. Yeah. Some of them were started in high school, a lot okay. through college, but you know, yeah, that was, that was my outlet was because yeah. I didn't have the friends. I didn't have, you know, I didn't feel like I could talk to my parents about a lot of it. And so I wrote it down and I started actually writing a book back in 2014. Okay. I finished it, but nice. <laughs> that, that has been my ask. goal was to finish it during COVID and then finish it during my recovery from surgery, but I haven't. But yeah, I, that's, that's my goal is to, to kick myself in the butt and to finish writing this book. I hope you do. That would be amazing. I think it's a necessary resource though the videos and the podcasts and the storytelling you get to do is pretty dang powerful too it's just another added value to those that maybe don't get as into it as much on this these platforms and they would mm -hmm. love a hard copy of sorts to to really oh, read too absolutely yeah. and maybe a generation gener a way to generate some resources and income for you in the long run too which would be awesome absolutely all right well we're getting close to time i want to wrap this up a little bit with a, a few things but how are you feeling today with the help and where you're at and, and the, the, the move must be a good thing. I'm assuming it's like something you're excited about here coming up too. Um, it is, uh, I've lived in this same apartment complex for 17 years will, will be by the time I move. And, um, it's just, it's not because like I said, it was built in the sixties. And so it's not really handicap accessible Sure. and I need more room and space with my wheelchair now. And so, it's bittersweet because I have lived here for so long. I mean, sure. I, I joked with my dad last night. I said, I moved into this building in my mid twenties and I'm moving out in my mid forties. And there's something wrong with that picture. Yeah. Yeah. 
but um yeah it's it'll it'll be a good experience i think and a, a new change a new chapter nice so so yeah. how are you uh in terms of all this experience all these things right now what is it that you're finding your your thing in your your rhythm here or your flow what does that look like right now for you it could change of course but i'm just wondering like where you're at now with everything like that's a good question um you know it, despite everything that's happened you know even in the last you know three years since covid and what how life has changed you know i've never been happier you know, do I have the the family and the kids and the job and the husband or whatever? No, I don't. But you know what? I have the life that I'm supposed to have and the life that God created for me. And so, you know, knowing that I love myself despite everything, um, you know, I have a roof over my head. It's just, you know, I've, I've come to be extremely grateful for the things that I do have because it can all be gone in an instant. You know, I've lost a lot of loved, loved ones in the last year or two. And you know, we're not promised tomorrow, you know, or next week. Right. And so it's just, it's, it's very humbling, especially telling my story so much is when you get those messages of people saying, oh, well, because of your story, I didn't commit suicide last night or from young, wow. young, young girls, young girls and young yeah. men, you yeah. know, on TikTok, or because of your story, I'm going to to speak up and tell my own story. You know, it still gives me chills because my, my story didn't mean anything to me for the first 30 some years of my life. That's awesome. So, you know, just knowing that I've made an impact, even in the, the last three years is, is amazing. And would you say that knowing you can wrap all of this up in one thing and, and know that if you use it in a good way, you could really impact people's lives is, is. Re rewarding in one sense or or making it like i don't know I, I don't even know if there's a way to say but like worth it you know what i mean like i'll find a way to use all of it for something good right like take it and make it like your pain into purpose kind of a thing yeah exactly yeah, i mean absolutely. i don't know how you describe it. i don't want to put words in your mouth so that's why oh, i'm no, trying to get no, the idea absolutely. out there but <laughs> i'm struggling clearly it's still morning where you are it's all good <laughs> um, <laughs> um Absolutely. You know, now that, you know, my story is out there and it is helping people, it is impacting people, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to stop talking about it. You know, it's, it's the hard stuff. I mean, you and I have talked about a lot of hard things in the last hour, things that people don't talk about. You know, I'm no. really passionate about mental health for men and women. You know, I've yeah. always said, I would rather sit and talk to you or even just listen for as long as it takes so I don't have to sit through a eulogy, you know, mm -hmm. and I know that somebody made that into a sound on TikTok, but it's true. I'd rather sit and listen for days if I have to, if I can keep you alive. Yeah, no, that's. Do a, I that's... still have my moments where I want to just say, okay, I'm done. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I'm only two weeks post-op and it's been not great. It's been not fun, but, you know, I know that my life has purpose. I know that it has meaning. And yeah. I'm not going to let anybody tell me different anymore. That is great. I love that. That's awesome. And I, again, your resiliency is what shines through in this and, you know, taking what could ever, like you said, easily wrecked you and, and mm -hmm. left you in a bad spot or not even here today to be a blessing to all of us. 
uh, I really thank you for that and commend you for that. So in wrapping up here, I want to, uh, we, we have, I've come boiled things down to like three core containers for life or pillars, however you want to define that is, um, you know, your faith, your spirituality, however you want to define that. So I call it, you know, spiritual health. And then there's the physical health, which includes, you know, the emotions, the mental game, all that stuff. And then there's the social health piece to it all. So in wrapping up, I, these are just quick questions. You get to answer them. I'm not going to rebut them. I'm not going to ask you to explain it. I don't care. Just want your thoughts as you think of it. So the first one is, you know, for me, it's Jesus. Is he a liar, lunatic Lord, or what say you? You know, I was raised in the church and, you know, I, I do believe in God and, you know, he has given me a lot of hardship in my life, but I know that it was all for a reason and all for a purpose and that he gave me the life that I've had for a reason. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm slowly, finally realizing why it's taken me over 40 some years to realize it, but there was a reason and there's a reason that I'm still here. So good or bad. Hey, I love it. Um, And, you know, I always tell people, if you don't have your health, what do you really have? And so that being said, what are you doing for self-care these days to really work on your physical, mental, emotional health? Um, Well, prior to surgery two weeks ago, um, you know, I was getting out and going to the gym a couple of days a week. I was going four or five days before COVID and then kind of got away from it and kind of gave up there for a while. But, you know, I was, I was focused on my health and weight loss and those kinds of things. And I, you know, once I cleared to go back to doing those things, you know, I will, you know, get back on that track because, you know, that's the reason that I was gotten this wheelchair, you know, two years ago was because I hadn't been taking care of myself as well as I should have. Mm-hmm. So, um, I know it's important. So I'm just really stubborn. <laughs> that's, that's good. In your case, you need it to be that way. Don't oh, it? absolutely. <laughs> and the, the third one is, you know, I think you kind of stated it towards the close of your story, but I'll let you maybe wrap it up in a more succinct way. How do you plan to go out and make a difference, you know, moving forward from everything now in the world and make, play a bigger role if you can? That's a good question. Um, you should do this for a living. <laughs> um, you know, I'm just going to continue to tell my story to anybody that will listen um, or just continue to tell it, even if nobody is listening, um, just so it gets out there and just let people know that they're not alone. You know, men, women, children. Um, I thought I was alone for the first, you know, 30, 40 years of my life dealing with everything by myself and it didn't work. You know, it almost killed me multiple Mm -hmm. times. You know, I've got at least 20 suicide attempts under my belt and that's not something you should be proud of. And I'm not proud of that, you know, but I thank God every day that I'm here. And like I said, in the beginning, if my story can help one person or save one life, all of it is worth it. Well, if I, if I could say it, I'm, I'm glad you're, you, you suck at suicide because you're still here. Thank you. I appreciate you. You know, I'm glad you're, that's not something you're gifted in. Okay. Cause I would hate to not have this opportunity to do highlight your life and, and inspire other people. I mean that truly. That's well, thank amazing. You. And, I'm, and I'm, I know, I know I'm laughing, but a couple of I months know. ago, my therapist and I were talking about this. He's like, 
you're really not good at committing suicide, are you? And I'm like, <laughs> no, I'm not. And, you know, we can, we can, he and I can laugh about it. And, you know, I yes. can laugh about it with you and people probably think I'm crazy, but no. it's the one thing that I'm okay with not being good at. Thank, at this yeah, because you don't get I that mean, back. That's a one and done thing if you get it right. And I don't, I'm glad you, yeah. So I get it yeah, totally. <laughs> That's so awesome. don't come at me, people, if you think right? I'm crazy for laughing about suicide, but no, no, it's not. I mean, it's, it's, I'm not, it's, but you know, yeah, no, we're, we're saying it in a positive, obviously, light to say that, yeah. you know, how serious it is that it, it, it's a one and done thing if it's done the, the way it can be. And that, and that's scary as, I'll get out. So uh -huh. yeah, hundred percent in. And I, I'll, I'll leave you with this. This is the one thing. And I did a video about it a couple of years ago. I woke up every single day from the age of 11 until the age of 42. When I woke up on my birthday, when I turned 42, not wanting to be alive hmm. and no one should have those. And nobody knew that until I made that video, except for my therapist. But every single day from the age of 11 to the age of 42, I wanted to die. Dang. And that's nobody. A, yeah. That's a Not long to bring time. It down to, again, but right. No, no. I mean, that's a long time to have to fight that thought. I mean, on a daily, yeah. like, yeah, nobody understands that stuff. You have to share that. That's why to you know so people understand it is really serious and mm -hmm. just because things on, on every day there i'm you the go. queen was, of fake smile i was just gonna say that because i'm reflecting on a, i remember a story of a uh, a pastor and his wife he has two beautiful kids they had just gone to their baseball game for the kids that day things were all great and the next day it wasn't he was gone and you're yeah. like what the heck like there's no outward signs necessarily it's just you just oh yeah. nobody wow. nobody would nobody would have known my my yeah. family never saw it my nobody and and I think that's the, the unfortunately the case with most situations there people are absolutely shocked because there were weren't any obvious like he was acting weird he was you know whatever she was there mm -hmm. it's not usually there yeah so man that's insane so let's um close it out with two last things here if you could kind of wrap up you know your awesome sauce to where how you've gotten to where you are and you could really share to that one person to tell them to encourage them to apply it today what would that be i think i and i i i'm i'm extremely stubborn and extremely you know bullheaded and i get that from my dad um you know if somebody tells me no or that i can't do something step aside because i'm going to prove you wrong in every way, shape or form. And, you know, just don't give up, you know, life, life may not be perfect. Life may not be, you know, beautiful all of the time. Um, but don't give up. It's worth it. It is all worth it. I'm sitting here at 44, almost 45 years old. And everything that I've been through since the day I was born has gotten me to this point and it's all been worth it. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Every tear, every smile, every everything. Right on. You know, I mean. Yeah. I love it. That's awesome. All right. The last question for you to close it out. Okay. Katie, are you awesome? I am pretty awesome, Eric. I am. I love it.
Wow, what an awesome and amazing human. Do you feel inspired to go share your story? If you do, email me, the IAA podcast at gmail.com. Share your story or what inspired you from this episode. If this story inspired you to take action, but you're not exactly clear your unique purpose, send me an email requesting our Things Can Change PDF. Work through the five questions to help you discover your purpose. In addition, you will have three questions to discover your passion. You will live your most awesome life when you determine your purpose and you discover your passion. Purpose fueled by passion equals awesome sauce. And remember, there's no greater agony than bearing an untold story. And hey, go be more of what you already are. Awesome.